The Guardian. Buying the silence of public figures who would incriminate your business and publishing the confidential medical details of a disabled child who just happens to have a famous father. I ask the Prime Minister, are any of these the actions of a fit and proper person? My honourable friend makes an extremely powerful point in a powerful way, and I think we have to be clear about what is happening here. There is a firestorm, if you like, that is engulfing parts of the media, parts of the police, and indeed our political system's ability to respond. And what we must do in the coming days and weeks is think above all of the victims, like the Downer family, who are watching this today, and make doubly sure that we get to the bottom of what happened and we prosecute those who are guilty. Mr Speaker, yesterday I met the family of Millie Dowler, who have shown incredible bravery and strength in speaking out about what happened to them, the hacking of their daughter's phone, and their terrible treatment at the hands of the news of the world. I'm sure the whole House will want to pay tribute to their courage and bravery. Does the Prime Minister now agree with me that it is an insult to the family that Rebecca Brooks who was the editor of the News of the World at the time, is still in her post at News International. I've made very clear she was right to resign. That resignation should have been accepted. There needs to be root and branch change at this entire organisation. And I think, uh, I think it has now become increasingly clear that while everybody, to start with, wanted in some way to separate what was happening at News International and what is happening with B Sky B, that is simply not possible. What has happened at this company is disgraceful. It's got to be addressed at every level, and they should stop thinking about murder when they've got to sort out the mess they've created. Mr Speaker, I thank the Prime Minister for that answer, and he's right to take the position that Rebecca Brooks should go. Now, Mr Speaker, when such a serious cloud hangs over News Corporation, and with the abuses and the systematic pattern of deceit we have seen, does he agree with me, and he clearly does, that it would be quite wrong for, for them to expand their stake, for them to expand their stake in the British media? And does he further agree... If the House of Commons speaks with one voice today, and I hope he will still come to the debate, that Rupert Murdoch should drop his bid for B Sky B, should recognise the world has changed, and he should listen to this House of Commons. I agree with what the Honourable Gen- Right Honourable Gentleman has said, and I think it's good that the House of Commons is going to speak with one voice. As he knows, as he knows, the government does have a job to do to act at all times within the law, and my right honourable friend, the Culture Secretary, has to obey every aspect of the law, laws that were on the whole put in place by the last government, and yes. As the Honourable Member says from a sedentary position, we should look at amending the laws. We should make sure the fit and proper test is right. We should make sure the Competition and Enterprise Acts are right. But I think it is perfectly acceptable, one at the same time, to obey the law as a government, but to send a message from this House of Commons that this business has got to stop the business of mergers and get on with the business of cleaning its stables. Mr Speaker, I look forward to debating these issues with the Leader of the House, who will be speaking for the Government later in the debate. Uh, Mr Speaker, I know he's making a statement shortly about the inquiry, but can he confirm something that we agreed last night, that we need to make sure that we get to the bottom, not just of what happened at our newspapers, 
but also about the relationships between politicians and the press. Does he agree with me? Does he agree with me that if we expect editors and members of the press to give evidence under oath, so should current and, and past politicians? No, I, I agree with that. First of all, on this issue of the debate, I mean, we're debating now, and that's right. We're going to have a statement in the House of Commons. And, Mr. Speaker, I will stand here and answer questions from as many members of Parliament want to ask them. And I think we should focus on, on the substance. As the Leader of the Opposition said, we had an excellent meeting last night. We discussed the nature of the inquiry that needs to take place. We discussed the terms of reference. I sent those terms of reference to his office this morning. We've had some amendments. We are happy to accept those amendments. They will still be draft terms of reference, and I want to hear what the Dowler family and others have to say so we can move ahead in a way that takes the whole country with us as we deal uh, with this problem. And I also think if we are going to say to the police, you must be more transparent and cut out corruption, if we're going to say to the media, you must be more transparent and cut out this malpractice, then yes, the relationship between politicians and the media must change, and we must be more transparent too about meetings, particularly with executives, editors, proprietors and the rest of it. And I'll be setting out some proposals for precisely that in a minute or two. I want to thank the Prime Minister for those answers, and they are answers the whole country will have wanted to hear. Can I also ask him to clear up one specific issue? It has now been confirmed that his Chief of Staff and his Director of Strategy were given specific information before the general election by the Guardian newspaper. The information showed that while he was editing the News of the World, Andy Coulson had hired Jonathan Rees, a man jailed for seven years for a criminal conspiracy and who made payments to police on behalf of the News of the World. Can the Prime Minister tell us what happened to that significant information that was given to his Chief of Staff? I'd like to answer this, if I may, Mr. Speaker, in full, and I do need to give a very full answer. First of all, all these questions relate to the fact that I, I hired a tabloid editor. I did so on the basis of assurances that he gave me that he did not know about the phone hacking and he was not involved in criminality. He gave those self-same assurances to the police, to a select committee of this House, and under oath to a court of law. If it turns out he lied, it won't just be that he shouldn't have been in government, it will be that he should be prosecuted. But I do believe, Mr Speaker, we must stick to the principle that you are innocent until proven guilty. Now, let me deal, let me deal directly about the information given to my office by figures from the Guardian newspaper in February last year. First of all, this information was not passed on to me, but let me be clear, let me be clear, this was not some secret stash of information. Almost all of it was published in The Guardian in February 2010, at the same time my office was approached. It contained no allegations directly linking Andy Coulson to illegal behaviour. It didn't shed any further light on the issue of phone hacking, so it wasn't drawn to my attention by my office. And what's more, Mr Speaker, what's more, let me just make this point. I met the editor of The Guardian the very next month, and he didn't raise it with me month, with once. I met him a year later, he didn't raise it then either. Indeed, I would ask, if this information is so significant, why have I not been asked one question about it at a press conference or in this House? The reason why, the reason why, the reason why, Mr Speaker, it didn't add anything to the assurances that I was given. But let me say once more, 
if, if I was lied to, if the police were lied to, if the select committee was lied to, it would be a matter of deep regret and a matter for a criminal prosecution. Anybody might think that orchestrated noise is taking place. Uh, order! Order! The House will come to order and these... Order! And these exchanges will continue in an orderly way. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has just made a very important admission. He has admitted that his Chief of Staff was given information before the general election that Andy Coulson had hired a man had hired a man jailed for seven years for a con- criminal conspiracy who made, payments for, to, who made payments to the police on behalf of the news of the world. The, this evidence casts serious doubt on Mr Coulson's assurances that the phone hacking over which he resigned was an isolated example of illegal activity. The Prime Minister says his Chief of Staff did not pass on this very serious information. Can he now tell us what information he proposes to take against his Chief of Staff? I have given, I think, the fullest possible answer I could to the right honourable gentleman. And let me just say this. He can stand there and ask questions about Andy Coulson. I can stand here and ask questions about Tom Baldwin. about Damien McBride. But do you know what, Mr Speaker? Do you know what, Mr Speaker? I think the public and the victims of this appalling scandal want us to rise above this and deal with the problems that this country faces. Ed Miliband! Mr Speaker, he just doesn't get it. the Prime Minister. He was warned by the Deputy Prime Minister about hiring Andy Coulson. He was warned by Lord Ashdown about hiring Andy Coulson. He has now admitted in the House of Commons today that his Chief of Staff was given complete evidence which contradicted Andy Coulson's previous account. The Prime Minister must now publish the fullest account of all the information that was provided and what he did and why those warnings went unheeded. And and he should do most of all, he should apologise for the catastrophic error of judgment he made in hiring Andy Coulson. I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, the person who is not getting it is now the Leader of the Opposition. What the public want us to do is address this firestorm. They want us to sort out bad practices at the media. They want us to fix the corruption in the police. They want a proper public inquiry. And they are entitled to ask, when these problems went on for so long, for so many years, what was it that happened in the last decade? What was it? When was the police investigation that didn't work? Where was the public inquiry over the last 10 years? We've now got a full-on police investigation that will see proper prosecutions and, I hope, proper convictions, and we'll have a public inquiry run by a judge to get to the bottom of this issue. That is the leadership I'm determined to provide. Mr David, order! Order! Mr 
I say to the children's minister, try to calm down and behave like an adult, and if you can't, if it's beyond you, leave the chamber, get out, we'll manage without you. Mr David Ward. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker, and uh, hey, Mr Speaker, what a case of the... Uh, this is intolerable behaviour as far as the public... No, it's not funny. Only in your mind, Mr Lawton, is it funny. It's not funny at all. It's disgraceful. Mr David Ward. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. And uh, hey, what a case of the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, but if we can just have a, a pantomime interval for a moment. Is the Prime Minister aware that there are now young people in Bradford being quoted, without convictions or claims, £53,000 to insure their first car? These ridiculous premiums are being driven by insurance, by insurance companies selling crash details to personal injuries. What are we going to do to outlaw... Prime Minister! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, my my honourable friend is making a very good point about the problem of referral fees that are driving up the cost of insurance for many people. And the right honourable gentleman, the member for um, Blackburn, has made some very powerful points about this. There was a report to the government calling for referral fees to be banned. I'm very sympathetic to this. I know my right honourable friend, the Justice Secretary, is too. And we hope to make some progress. Lucas. Will the Prime Minister, if asked give evidence to the judge-led public inquiry that he is setting up today. Of course, the point about the inquiry, which I'll be announcing in a moment or two, it will be judge-led, it will take uh, its powers from the Inquiries Act, it will be able to call people under oath, and I think this is absolutely vital. And as I say, there are three pillars to this. There is the issue of police corruption, there is the issue of what happened at the media, and there's also questions for politicians, past, present and future. Matthew Hancock. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My constituents are increasingly concerned about the deepening problems in the Eurozone. Will the Prime Minister reassure me that he is doing everything he can to keep us out of it and to urge the Eurozone to act? I think my my old friend is right. We've got to stay out of the Eurozone. I think that being a member of the Euro would would take away the flexibility we currently have. But we have to remember 40% of our exports go to Eurozone countries. And so we should be making constructive suggestions about proper stress tests for their banks, backed up by recapitalisation, involving the private sector to make Greece's debt burden more sustainable, and earning fiscal credibility through concrete action to reduce their excessive deficits. Basically, Eurozone countries, in my view, have to recognise they've got to do more together and faster. They've got to get ahead of the market rather than responding to the next crisis. This is Mary Glinder. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Lord Ashdown said he warned Number 10 last year of the terrible damage that it would suffer if Andy Coulson was appointed. Can the Prime Minister say how precisely he reacted to this powerful warning? The, the, the point I made some, some moments ago, of course, the decision to employ a tabloid editor meant that there were a number of people who said this was not a good idea, particularly when that tabloid editor had been at the News of the World when bad things had happened. The decision I made was to accept the assurances that he gave me. And as I've said, those are assurances given to the police, to a select committee and to a court of law. But if I was lied to, if others were lied to, that would be a matter of deep 
regret. I couldn't be clearer about it than that. But we must make sure that we judge people as innocent till proven guilty. Andrew Percy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I received another email from a constituent regarding uh, metal and cable thefts, except this time it told me of an elderly lady who at home had had a fall and was unable to raise the alarm because uh, the cables from the village had been stolen for the second time in about as many weeks. This is a growing problem across the country. The legislation relating to this dates back to 1964. Please can we have an urgent review to ensure that those scrap metal dealers who accept this stolen metal are prevented from doing so and prosecuted. I have every sympathy with my honourable friend. Uh, I had a case in my own constituency where the lead from the Whitney church roof was stolen, and I've been trying to make sure that these crimes are taken very seriously by the police because they put massive costs onto voluntary bodies, churches, charities and businesses, and we've got to make sure they're not seen as sort of second-order crimes because it is a level of crime that is growing and is very worrying. Tom Watson. The debate this afternoon will be vital because it shows the House will be united in its revulsion at what was done to Millie Dowler's family. But could I ask the Prime Minister to make urgent inquiries as to whether families of the victims of 9-11 were similarly targeted by the criminals at News International? And if they were, will he raise it with his counterparts in the United States? I will certainly look at that. In the statement I'm about to make, I'll give some figures for just how many people, people's phones the Metropolitan Police currently think were hacked, how many they've contacted so far, but a pledge that they will contact every single one. I met with the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Paul Stevenson, last night to seek further reassurances about the scale of the police operation that is underway. I have to say, in what was, if we can put it this way, a mixed appearance by police officers at the Home Affairs Select Committee uh, last night, I thought that Sue Akers, who is leading uh, this investigation, actually acquitted herself extremely well, and we should have confidence that the Metropolitan Police will get to the bottom of this. To Therese Coffey. Thank you. Mr Speaker, with ambitions of being the greenest county, Suffolk is already committed to a low-carbon world with offshore wind farms, anaerobic digestion, nuclear power and a recycling rate of over 60%. Yeah, yeah. He's always welcome to visit but, uh, our county, but will he give his backing to our LEPS ambitions to enhance skills training so we can fill the new job opportunities to be created locally? No, I think the Honourable Lady makes a, a good point, and I congratulate her on branding Suffolk as the Green Coast. I think there is a big opportunity, particularly in light of what my right honourable friend, the Energy and Climate Change Secretary, has said, in terms of green jobs in renewable energy, but also in new nuclear. And one of the vital things to encourage the inward investment we want is to demonstrate that we're going to build up our skills base, and that is where local enterprise partnerships can play such a valuable role. Rashnara Ali. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister tell the House whether he had any conversations about phone hacking with Andy Coulson at the time of his resignation? And will he place in the library a log of any meetings and phone calls between him and Andy Coulson following his resignation? As I said, uh, I think perhaps before she wrote her question, um, or or had it written... um, I sought assurances from Andy Corson. I received assurances, and those were assurances that were given. Yes, absolutely. Those were assurances not just given at the time to me, but also given subsequently to the Select Committee and 
hand to a criminal case under oath. So these were repeatedly given. But let me say again, for the avoidance of any doubt, if these assurances turn out not to be true, then it's not just that he shouldn't have worked in government, it is that he should, like others, face the full force of the law. David Burrows. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Um, can I raise with the Prime Minister a different case of hacking, the computer hacker Gary McKinnon? Whilst I recognise the Home Secretary has a legal process to follow, does he share the concern for my constituents' nine-year nightmare as he feels his life is literally hanging on a thread, waiting to be cut by extradition? Well, I I do recognise the seriousness of of this case, and uh, the Deputy Prime Minister and I actually raised it with President Obama when he uh, visited. I think the point is it's not so much about the alleged offence, which everyone knows is a very serious offence, and you can understand why the Americans feel so strongly about it. The case really now is is in front of my right hand friend, the Home Home Secretary, who has to consider reports about Gary McKinnon's health and his well-being. It's right that she does that in a proper, effectively, and sorry to use the word again today, quasi judicial way. Mr Speaker, in these days of a rush to make savage uh, cuts in public spending, uh, decimation of the police service and hammering uh, individuals due to withdrawal of legal aid, can I ask the Prime Minister to justify the following expenditure? At the beginning of last month, a serviceman from Northern Ireland asked for a non-urgent pair of boots, £45. They were dispatched from defence-based Bicester by private courier to Northern Ireland at a cost of £714.80. Isn't it time he got a grip of this? Um, Well, I I know that um, former health ministers wanted to hear the rattle of every bedpan, and maybe I need to see the order of every pair of boots in the military. But I I recognise the point he makes. One of the things we're trying to do in the Ministry of Defence is recognise there's a huge amount of cost in terms of back office cost and logistics, and we want to make that more efficient so we can actually spend money on the front line. The example he gives is a good one. I shall check it out and see if we can save some money. Graham Stewart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can Can the Prime Minister assure the House that all illegal press activity under the last government will be investigated now, and that this will include the criminal conspiracy between the highest levels in that last government with parts of the Murdoch Empire to dis- including flagging, flagging of bank accounts of Lord Ashcroft in a bid to undermine him and his position as laid out in Dirty Politics, Dirty Times. The point about the inquiry, which we're shortly going to discuss, is it will look at the relationship between politicians and media groups over the whole issue of that relationship and as it relates to media policy. I think this is extremely important. And this inquiry will have the ability to call politicians, serving politicians, previous prime ministers, to get to the bottom of what happened and how unhealthy this relationship was. That is what needs to happen. Margaret Hodge. On Monday, the MOD Permanent Secretary told the Public Accounts Committee that the Prime Minister himself blocked the National Audit Office from accessing relevant National Security Council documents. The auditors considered these essential to assess whether the decisions on the aircraft carrier in the Defence Review represent value for money. That refusal is unprecedented. In the interests of full transparency and accountability to Parliament, will the Prime Minister now agree to immediately release the information the NAO needs? Yeah. Uh, 
the, the, the short answer is we were following precedent. But the long answer is, if she wants me to come to her committee and explain what an appalling set of decisions the last government made on aircraft carriers, the, end, the, delay, the delay alone by the government she worked for added £1.6 to the cost of the aircraft carriers. So if she wants me to turn up and not just tell you what we discussed in Cabinet, but lay out the full detail of the waste her government was responsible for, name the day. Malcolm Bruce. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Following a Prime Minister's question from me three and a half years ago, his predecessor, the Right Honourable Member for Dunfermline and Cowden Beef, set up pilot schemes to provide sign language support for deaf parents and their children in Devon and Merseyside. These have now been completed and have been a huge success. Will he meet a delegation of deaf parents and their children and representatives to discuss how this sign language support can be extended to all children and their parents across the United Kingdom? My honourable friend makes a, a very good point. We do a lot to support different languages throughout the United Kingdom. Signing is an incredibly valuable language for many, many people in our country. These pilot schemes have been successful. I looked at what the last Prime Minister said to him when he asked this question, and I'll certainly arrange a meeting for him with the Department of Education to see how we can take this forward. Free Robinson. My question to the Prime Minister concerns the, the Thames Link Rail Programme and the contract that is of great concern, he will be aware throughout the House, and with 20,000 manufacturing jobs at risk, it's right that it should be. Can the Prime Minister confirm that no contract yet has been signed, and that indeed no contract can be let or signed until the funding package itself is determined, which is a complicated process? And given that, uh, this is the heart of the question I put to the Prime Minister, given that the funding, pra- the funding package... Twenty thousand jobs are at stake, Mr. Speaker. Given that the given that the twenty thousand jobs are at risk, will the Prime Minister please look at holding the competition for that funding package? Seen by What I would say to the uh, right honourable gentleman, and I know he cares deeply about this issue, Bombardier is a great company, it's got a great future in our country, we want to see it succeed, but I have to say in this case the procurement process was designed and initiated by the previous government. We were bound by the criteria that they set and therefore we have to continue with the decision that's been made according to that criteria. But we are now looking at all the EU rules and the procurement rules to see whether we can change and make better for the future issues like this. Stephen Mosley. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister join me in calling for the electrification of the crew to Chester railway line, which will provide a major immediate boost to people in Chester and beyond in North Wales, and also eventually link us to the much-needed high-speed two? Well, I'm, I'm well aware of this uh, campaign. I remember spending a lot of time at Crew Station uh, during the last uh, Parliament, normally accompanied by people uh, dressed in top hat and tails, I seem to uh, remember. Um, I some of my colleagues will remember that. It's not in the current programme, but we'll look sympathetically. We know that we want to see more electrification of railway lines in our country. Gavin Shuker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. His government said that university tuition fees would average £7,500. In actual fact, they average 8,400. How can he open the UK taxpayer to such a liability of 0.8 billion pounds over this Parliament? 
Well, first of all, let me give him some of the figures. There are only nine universities that are charging £9,000 for every student. If there are 58 universities that won't charge 9000 for any of their courses. If you look at FE colleges, 108 out of 124 will charge less than 6000 for all their courses. But the point I'd make is this. University degrees have not suddenly started costing seven, eight, or £9,000. They've always costed that. The question is, do you ask the graduates to pay, successful graduates who are earning over £21,000, or do you ask the taxpayers to pay? The money doesn't grow on trees. We've made our choice, and I think that the, the party opposite that introduced tuition fees has got to come up with its answer. James Clapperson. Mr Speaker, amidst the turmoil in other European economies caused by the euro, is it not essential that this country should continue to take steps to reduce its debt and steer clear of paying for any future EU bailouts? Whatever advice the contraman or a friend who sees from the benches opposite. Yeah. The, the point I make, it's, it's not only the restrictions of the euro, it is also the building up of unsustainable levels of debt. And although we're out of the euro, it doesn't mean we don't have to deal with our debts. We absolutely do. But we do have the opportunity of being quite a safe haven for people, and you can actually see our market interest rates come down because of the action this government is taking. We've got to keep that up, but recognise the euro sorting out its own problems is in our interest, so we must be helpful and constructive with the work that needs to be done. Von Favag. Last week I was approached regarding a fee-paying debt management company that had advised their client to take out a remortgage for £50,000 to pay their debts. The company paid £11,000 to his creditors and went out of business, taking the rest of his money. I have many other examples like this, and self-regulation is simply not working with this industry. Will the Prime Minister look urgently at regulating this sector and provide the OFT with the resources to take enforcement action swiftly so that vulnerable people are not continuing to be ripped off. Well, I, I know that the Honourable Lady has not just constituency experience of this, but managed a Citizens Advice Bureau Centre herself, and so has huge experience of seeing people coming in with debt problems, and I would say the CAB is probably the finest organisation in our country for helping people with debt. So yes, I will certainly look at the suggestion that she makes about whether or not this sector can be better regulated, what we can do to help support Citizens Advice Bureau at what is a difficult time, and also looking at the issue of credit unions and how we can lead to their expansion. Barwell. Speaker, the whole, the whole House will share the outrage the Right Honourable Member for Cacaldi and Cowdenbeath expressed this week about the publication of private medical information relating to his son. He also said that when he was Prime Minister, he tried to set up a judicial inquiry into phone hacking. Can my right honourable friend tell me what detailed preparatory work he inherited? Well, I didn't. I look, I do have every sympathy with my predecessor, particularly over the issue of the blagging of his uh, details, if that's what happened from a newspaper. Look, in public life, we all are subject to huge amounts of extra scrutiny, and that's fair. But it's not fair when laws are broken. I mean, I, I, we've all suffered from this, and the fact is, we've all been too silent about it. That is part of the problem. Your bins are gone through by some media organisation, but you hold back from dealing with it because you want good relations with the media. What we need is some honesty about this issue on a cross-party basis so we can take on this problem. I have to say, I didn't inherit any work on a public inquiry, but I'm determined the one that we set up, with the support of the right honourable gentleman, will get the job done. Michael McCann. 
Mr Speaker, the, the 45th International Children's Games will come to the fair county of Lanarkshire at the start of August. 1,512 15-year-olds will participate in nine sports across the county. Will the Prime Minister congratulate two Labour local authorities, North and South Lanarkshire Council, for their foresight in bidding and hosting, and hosting the Games, and will he send a representative of the Government to the event? I certainly congratulate uh, the two local authorities. There aren't, tragically, too many Conservative local authorities I can congratulate in Scotland, so I'm happy to, um, to, happy to congratulate his. It sounds like an excellent initiative, and I wish everyone who's going to take part the very best of luck. Jack Goldsmith. Speaker, would the Prime Minister confirm that all witnesses to all aspects of the uh, promised inquiry will be required to give evidence under oath? As I'll explain in a minute, it's going to be one inquiry with two parts to it, but led by a judge, and that judge will be the one who will eventually agree the terms of reference, set out the way that it's going to uh, work, and be responsible for calling people under oath. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.